This, you're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hello, everyone. This is Sheila, host of the Unsanctioned Citizen and That AI Show. I wanted to share a little bit about the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program as part of of the HRSA. If you or someone you know is suffering from the lasting effects of an illness or disability symptoms after taking a vaccine, please contact the Health Resources and Services Administration to learn more about the resources available to you that could help you and many others. For claims associated with the COVID-19 vaccine or other COVID-19 related countermeasures, please file your request for benefits with the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. Please visit injurycompensation.hrsa.gov to learn more and tell a friend. Okay, there it is. That's the that's today's PSA. I just wanted to uh, move right into the topical. So you have to extract yourself from an unprofessional trap. I learned about this today while I was having some Labor Day time. You know, people are talking to each other about something known as the deception meeting. And I'm like, what the heck is a deception meeting? Well, a deception meeting is where basically someone sets up a meeting uh, on the auspices of one thing, and then it ends up being something else. So a deception meeting would be... Um, come to this network event and, you know, have a few drinks and let's catch up. Okay, I haven't talked to you in a while, let's do it. And so you go to this event and then you get there and it ends up being like, you know, four people you used to know and, you know, they're all in a confrontational hustle. They want you to join their, their, uh, their political clique or whatever and... They want you to go do something for them, and, and, and it involves money. Like, they, they want you to give them $50 today because, because this is really important to them. And it's like, wait a minute, guys. Wait a minute. This, this was not what I – this is not what I agreed to. This is not what I signed up for. Everybody has been in those situations, um, so, but sometimes they happen in a professional setting, which is unprofessional in nature. The other thing that has happened – is uh, there's the almighty stress interview. Now, typically, a stress interview is used to kind of prove somebody's mettle in a crisis situation. Now, hey, how's it going, Nate? Um, a crisis situation where they'll be handling crisis communications, fielding high-level communication, the person who should not be giving a stress interview is a middle-level manager or somebody who works in the back of the office who doesn't do anything but mail or someone who is, say, like a retail manager. Those people should not be conducting high-level stress interviews, the type that are supposed to make you crack and... Um, and you know, just excoriating everything about your um, about your resume. So these do these things do happen. Um, for instance, like you'll get a female graduate who goes in. They're like they come in. They're wearing their best suit. They 
They look very professional. They're ready. They prepared for hours before the interview to, to show up at, at a CEO. And this is what, what will sometimes happen. And so according to The Guardian, I'm just going to read this little bit from this uh, article. So it sounds like the job interview from hell. Olivia Bland ended up crying at the bus stop after what the 22-year-old describes as being deliberately torn to shreds over everything from her writing skills to her posture. Apparently, even my arms were wrong. The way I sat was wrong. Tech company boss Craig Dean, the man on the other side of the desk, said, ended up posting what he called a sleep-deprived and anxiety-driven apology on Twitter after her account of it all went viral. Um, tell me your well, this is the, the editorial here. Tell me your age, gender, and political leanings. I can probably guess which, with reasonable certainty, where your sympathies lie, with your, either with her or with him. I don't, I don't think it really matters. It was an unprofessional interview. Um, but if nothing else, the rejection email she sent, explaining where Web Applications UK could stick it um, after he offered her the job, which does happen, they'll put you through a really terrible... Uh, stress interview experience and then offer you a job. I had that happen. Um, somebody put me through a horrific um, teardown interview and then called me up the next day and said, hey, you know, I've got a job for you. Do you want to come in? And I absolutely didn't want to ever see this person again in my life. So they they tore down everything I did. Everything I did. There was nothing on my resume that was that was right. They were like, you shouldn't have been paid this. You weren't worth this. On and on and on and on, and it was for a relatively low, lower level position, like maybe you know administrative work, you know, in in the back office or something like that. And uh, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of chose it. So it would be kind of low flying, and I could do other things like write and pursue other other venues that were, you know, more towards what I intended out of work I want something like demure and non-special to kind of cover for this other thing that I'm doing on the side so um, but that's not how it went this person really was awful to me so I didn't take the job and so it should be said that Dean's board of directors later put out a statement I'm just going to cut back to the article here because it's not really about me uh, insisting it was it was confident that there had been no bullying or intimidation while promising to reflect on what had happened um, but whatever went on inside the interview room it patently hadn't ended well for anybody Bland compares the whole thing to a conversation with an abusive ex picking apart everything that she was was supposedly wrong with her social media naming and shaming being what it is Dean must be now experiencing something very similar she must have wanted the job originally, and then he evidently wanted her to have it. Uh, it should not have been impossible to put two and two together without making something that sounded like a particularly squirm-inducing episode of The Office. And yet here we are. So much for the trendy management theories about testing the resilience of pers prospective employees. Okay. And for Dean, he didn't pluck this on an orthodox con conversational gambit out of thin air. It's the so-called stress interview is designed to provoke, embarrass, intimidate interviewees to see how they cope in a crisis. Has evidently come a long way since the apocryphal stories of Oxbridge Don's greeting nervous six formers by 
putting their feet up on the desk and ordering them to impress me. Um, a quick Google of U.S. recruitment sites uncovers endless suggested comments for the would-be boss from hell, ranging from, it doesn't look like you accomplished much in your last position, to, uh, if you're really good, you would have been promoted. Why haven't you been promoted? And other techniques asking the interview questions that seem inappropriately personal to put them off their stride, bizarrely bland, says she was asked about her childhood and whether her parents were still together, or simply being deliberately rude sighing and rolling your eyes during uh, during answers, interrupting to take phone calls in the middle of a conversation, even, even turning your back on the interviewee all come recommended for the stressed posture interview. It is the employment equivalent of negging or attempting to pick up women by insulting them and undermining them, so in theory they'll be even more desperate for your approval, which made for some truly grim dates during its briefly fashionable heyday. In stress interview theory, the candidate is supposed to remain emotionless throughout, thereby demonstrating that they won't lose their cool with a difficult client and can take criticism. It says a great deal about what's wrong with management in too many British companies that anyone, but just companies, that anyone would think this is how you uncover talent. Yet sadly, not many candidates would have the nerve to fight back in the current job market. Uh, Bland is trying to enter a competitive industry at a time when pe a lot of people aren't hiring. In this case, a lot of people are both hiring and also not hiring. It's a very mixed market right now. Um, right now, they, they say it's more of an employee's market, but these are the still the type of things that do go on and so I guess I could merge a little bit later with the quiet quitting and quiet firing. So prolonged negging after you're hired would be quiet, that would be the an abusive environment in which you know someone might consider quiet quitting. Well they're like well nothing I do is right so I'm not gonna, not, a, not gonna give too much. <laughs> I'm going to do what they've asked me to do, but I'm not going to do any more because no matter what I do, I still get the, the same amount of feedback and I don't get any additional pay. So you can work more and get more negative feedback and no additional pay and you're, it just begins to feel like, you know, this is, this is an abuse of my time. So um, everybody's been in jobs that don't feel very good. You're you're not there to, to feel good. You're there to to make money. But there is there's a point where it becomes completely unbalanced, and and the suffering exceeds the uh, the meaning of the job. <laughs> and then you start looking elsewhere. And so quiet quitting is is some some people's response to that. It's where they dial back the amount of engagement that they feel with the job. And they also don't give as much. Quiet firing, on the other hand, is where, you know, a passive-aggressive boss or leadership team just decides to kind of not, uh, not invite you to meetings, you know, withhold uh, constructive feedback, feedback where you can actually kind of reform things that you've, Maybe they say that maybe you've done wrong, but they don't, you know, and then you do your part, maybe, and then you go back and you're like, well, how's it have things improved? And they're like, well, I, I just don't have time. I don't have time to, to discuss any of these things with you. And um, 
Or they humiliate you in front of coworkers, you know, deliberate ostracization or just kind of, you know, you're not in meetings as much. You know, they, they, they find menial things to do that have nothing to do with your job, on and on and on and on. So um, if anybody has any ideas about quiet quitting or quiet firing, um, it would be really good to hear from you. And, oh, hey, there's Blotty. Hello, what? happy Labor Day. Hello, happy Labor Day. Basically, a lot of these, uh, recently, really a lot of youngsters that are the ones that are quitting. It makes yeah. the question of millennials and now And why are they doing this in droves? They're just very disrespectful. Just leave you. Instead of just going up to the box saying, give you two weeks, you know, or I quit. They're just kind of like walking out the door. They don't care. I mean, I, I've never seen it like I've seen it in my culture here in America with a lot of the youngsters. And, they're, and they talk about it, and it's all over TikTok. They're viral. If they don't like, they don't agree something with the... <laughs> it's all over TikTok, which, of course, obviously, I'm the old fuddy-duddy out of the loop because I don't use TikTok. I don't use Facebook. And that's because I actually still believe in privacy. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. Believe it or not, you, you see it. It obviously come up on the web. And how these younger generations, um, I don't know how our country's going to do this. I mean, these younger generations don't have absolutely a backbone. A backbone. They're flaky, they, they melt under pressure, and they just don't want to hack. I mean, well, what are we waiting for in our. What are we looking for? Well, I mean, I think they have to be coached towards what is resilience, and they have to be given an adequate reason why. If they show up and the, the pay for them isn't higher enough, high enough to like kind of get them out of you know they they, they need to be motivated properly yeah but, but Shayla there's something like that the Mexican we're very proud to be some of the best workers in the world we your your mic is job. very low and far away bloody so could you could you pull the mic can you hear me work? that's you hear much me? that is way better that is so okay, much better so, so as, as a Mexican I could tell you in my culture we take pride in work Mm-hmm. So this thing about, oh, you have an option, you're with mom, dad, bullshit, you get your ass out there and work two to three jobs and make it happen. And if you have a family, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. So when they're single and they have nothing going for them, maybe school not their option, they don't want to. Some people don't want to go to school, but they're more visual, they want to learn on the job kind of thing. They're young, they'll go out there and work. It's up to the, the family place. You know, and eventually they move out and all that. But I, I, I'm noticing a lot, a lot of the younger generation, a lot of them, they still stay with mom and dad for the wrong reason, not for the right reason. I'm not saying they moved back in because they had economically a trouble. It's like what what they should have been doing at 20, I would do, working two to three jobs. And this is what we're getting from a lot of the generation. generations. They don't see a need for work. They just want everything handed to them. Well, I I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for them. You know, it it would be really helpful to hear from somebody who who is from, I guess, Gen Z. I know that that there are plenty of them that do have good work ethics. There are always going to be a few people that come into the the workforce from youth as, as, you know, labeled as entitled. I would say every single generation um, that are just kind of fledglings, they're going to be entitled to a certain extent because everything's been given to them up until that point and and 
you know, they have to break but, but they but they have to the recognize work. that the world is not mommy and daddy that's gonna give you everything. You gotta work for it. You gotta it's based on meritocracy. You want something to work for it. That is a virtue right there. Another thing is for example, if you're working customer service and you can't have a people that need either get retraining, know that you're gonna be different variety of attitude and you gotta suck it off and not take things personal. A lot of these viral videos, TikTok and all over the web, they're they're putting attention to this customer told me off, this customer was treated, didn't give me a ticket. Gotta let things go. When it when it's about survival, got you just gotta let people be. Don't take it personal. Let them do their shit. Bring in your manager that you have to, you know, and and get involved. Let them sort things out. If you're a hothead, so, then yeah, go ahead. Let me let me invite you into the speaker's room so we can get North in to talk. North usually has a, a balancing perspective. Hey, North, thanks for coming in. Are you there? Hey, yeah, hey, it finally hey. didn't kick me out. It didn't kick you out. That's good. Yeah, this app keeps kicking me out all day. Oh uh, my God. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 a millennial, I guess. Um and I have like a really really good job. And um I've okay, had like what do you no, mind if we ask you what you do? Is that okay? I, well, I'm in tech. Um, oh, you're you do you do code? Like what what do you do? Yeah, yeah, like I'm in the software industry. Oh, okay. Um, All right, go ahead. Um and so like I personally have never had any problems, but uh, all my friends, especially when I was younger, um, you know, working in the restaurant industry, service industries and stuff like uh, I, I was having trouble uh, living on my own, getting like a great wage. Um, and I couldn't imagine how they were doing it. And it's like you look at like look at any chart of cost of living versus wages and cost of living has dramatically outpaced what people are getting paid since like the 1970s um in canada especially like in the 1980s it would cost an average person's uh three times their yearly wage to buy a home now it costs 10 times a person's yearly wage to buy a home and it's these things that one is causing a lot of younger people to live with their parents just everything costing way more mm. uh but also uh just the intransigence of business to nickel like to 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 pay you the least amount possible you know it's it's business's interest for them to cut costs and part of that is your wage um so I actually applaud anybody that quits their job or, or quietly quits, takes advantage of a corporation in any way they can because corporations don't care about people as much as they try and say they do. You know, I don't I work know for, if I agree with, with you, North, but you know, I understand. I work, I just, go ahead. I work for a giant company that's uh, very interested in seeming like it cares about its workers because its workers have power. They're uh, influential, affluent, uh, intelligent people that they want to retain. But when push comes to shove of uh, holding on to a person 
because they've worked for them for 12 years versus the bottom line. The bottom line's always going to win. And so the company doesn't have any allegiance to you. And therefore, you shouldn't have any allegiance to a company. I think it's a, it's a purely fiscal financial relationship, and it should be treated as such. Um, and I think doing anything otherwise is really naive and buying into the corporate propaganda of world one big family like that that mm. that message that men- message is put out there purposely to help the company right um they want people to feel like they're in a family because that helps productivity and that helps well, retention when they it, it's it. also misleading it really is misleading they aren't your family and that is that's kind of like a cult type tactic we're your family now yeah. right and nobody buys that it's dishonest at a as at a fundamental level you know you want some some space what that means to them is we're not going to respect the boundaries between your outside life and your work life they want it to to merge and yeah. Yeah, and they don't deserve to have that so mm-hmm. when they reach for the pam- you know and i i noticed that t-mobile did that with the customers they're like yep. We treat you like family. And I'm like, you're not my family. When I got a phone call, when I did customer service, uh, like a calling into them about an issue, technical issue with my phone, I'm like, you're, you're not, you're not in my family. No, they don't <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not going to allow you to, to use that delusion with me as a customer. It's, yeah. And the one thing, the one thing I will agree with Vlad on is that our parents and our grandparents did work much harder. They did break their back working for these companies and that's totally true but it didn't they didn't get compensated as much as they should have for that back-breaking labor like i know my grandparents were like next to death by the time it came to retirement and my parents were only slightly better you know and they they all believed in the whole um you know work hard get get ahead which isn't which isn't entirely untrue but you have to keep it in perspective there 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 is you are going to get ahead in some ways but in some ways you'll just get used i I think a lot of people from my generation gen x came up with the phrase work work, don't work necessarily harder work smarter because mm-hmm. you can work very hard, but also completely be throwing your labor in, in a direction where you're, you are absolutely not going to get ahead. So, um, and when the, when, the, when the relationship changes, meaning like when the corporation makes a lateral business or a unilateral business decision from the top and they change the way that they do business, uh, they, they move people out, they, they cut jobs. And they display a distinct, you know, non-loyalty to, say, the seniority model where, you know, we keep people almost from, like, from the beginning of their career all the way through to the end of their career. Um, Microsoft is a tech company that that has lifers. They, they now have lifers. Like, people that, that started their career at Microsoft can work there their entire lives and, and retire as a Microsoft employee, 
and a few people are doing it now. Um, but you know that that's that type of corporation isn't common anymore, um, and more corporations feel the need to to kind of make these kind of draconian business decisions based on trends and based on um, you know their their business model like am I an IPO am I you know so you have to to basically tailor your labor appropriate to you know where am I going to be in five years where am I going to be in like seven years is it going to be with this company or is it going to be with my own company as a contractor I want to bring up Nate who's been a lifelong contractor as he indicated from the comments I'm going to bring you up you're going to be invited to speak um, north it's going to bring up bring up Nate now pretty reliable caller welcome Nate hello hello hey can you hear me? yeah I can hear you great okay. wonderful go ahead um, so actually some really great things from north and Vladdy too and I think they there are so many things that are different now about the work or the employee employer relationship um, than than there were, you know, say during our grandparents' generation. Like, no, they didn't get compensated adequately relative to their labor. However, unions and the fight for workers' rights was a much bigger thing during their generation. And I think, you know, when we look at, you know, uh, like for example, Sheila yesterday pointed out three people getting, you know, these three people get all the wealth. And I, the difference there is, yeah, you had you had people getting those those few individuals getting all the wealth uh, back in the twenties, right? When you had like uh, robber barons, etc. You're like, but who think- is this? Who, what is it? You know, I, I was making kind of a loosely a fielded. Uh, it probably wasn't really founded in anything like recent, or but it, it, for the allegory, for the purpose of the allegory, I was using it. It wasn't. Well, it wasn't no, really it, a it, practical it, example. Right, right, right. And I know it was it was an exaggeration, but I think there's there's a sense of that these days that it is so imbalanced and I, I think what North says really rings true to a lot of people who maybe can't even put their finger on it that the that the cost of living has gone up, like the cost yeah. of owning a home, the cost of like basically it. buying into the American dream, right? These fundamental like touchstones that we associate with the American dream are becoming further and further out of uh, reach for so many people. And and I think there becomes a breaking point where people feel like it is, if the game is so rigged where it doesn't matter how hard I work, then they're not going to want to participate. And I think we're seeing that, like, you know, that's, that's a part. I, I don't think that's, there's any one thing, but I mean, even for myself, when I first got into my industry, I was 25, okay? Had a college degree, but it was assumed that, I would, you know, you have to work your ass off. You're not going to make, you're going to make jack shit, excuse my language, for the first mm-hmm. couple years that you do this job. You will not uh, be making good money. However, if you apply yourself, if you work, if you're, and I mean, it's, my job is often called a lifestyle job because of what it demands and the, the, the type of stress that, that you're sort of constantly, that comes along with the job. However, if you're willing to, make that sacrifice that you would be you know very likely be rewarded and your compensation would show it now for me it was true i I think up until 
really just a couple of years ago. And then there's been a shift now. And I've noticed the shift in business to where, um, you know, and having been a salesperson, having been in business, you know, for 17 years, there is a, a shift in the culture and uh, it is more of a, uh, it feels less win-win now and it feels more like a manipulation. Um, yeah, a and that's, that's why I phrased things, I, I kind of frame things in context of like power trips and, and deception meetings and negging interviews and um, how do you get out of some of those really unprofessional trends um, you know, people get in the door, but they've been kind of manipulated sometimes. You know, they, they, they start out, they want to be on a good foot. Everybody wants to be confident that they are going to come in the door on a good foot. And it doesn't make any sense to me why an employer would want, like, say, um, a new employee to feel like they're not on the best footing when they come in the door. It just doesn't make any sense to me. This is, you know, they yeah, I think, well... So they can offer I, them less. So they can offer you less. Oh, okay, the negging interview, hence the negging. Yes, go ahead. But at, the, but at the same time, you have to understand that the employee will always be at the will and mercy of the employer, perspective of law and union and all that. And that is what a lot of young workers don't want to accept. There's law, there's rules, and there's a boss. You gotta go in there, clock in before nine to come out at six. You're going in there to do work. Your boss is not your boy. He, you don't chill with him. He's not your buddy. He's not your best friend, unless he really is. You know, in real life, I could be wrong. So they have to have that decor of that respect. You gotta come well, in with a good attitude. It's it's great. It's great when you come in the door, bloody, and you have the respect. But it's not good when you come in the door and they have no respect for you. Okay. Exactly, and, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, some bosses are dictatorial. I'm not going to lie. But what are you going to do? You need a wage, and if you don't want that, we'll move on to the next company. Then. Leave that a-hole, probably put something up on a website and say, don't go work it because Joe Blow is a bad, is a bad uh, uh, employer. Because yeah. he's a psychological sadist. Exactly. Bloody, wouldn't that be, wouldn't exactly. that be canceling them? That'd be you canceling could. Them. Not, not canceling, but you're putting it out there. You're telling people... No, because casting would be you're shutting them from having any, any avenue of freedom to speak. What you're doing is you're informing people. We well, love this guy. So, I mean, you've got a point, a little bit of a point there, North. You're you're telling you're telling the applicants where the danger is, and that's the point of sites like Glassdoor. Like, what was your interview like? You know, I went in for like a a a box assembly position, and I was given a, a massive stress interview. That's so inappropriate. So, I have one question for you guys, for all of you, um, and uh, I'm really interested to get your feedback on this because I think even in the current job market, and, and I'm not saying this is like 100% foolproof, but I think if one, you know, part of working smarter, I think is becoming so valuable to your employer, looking for ways to add value. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but if you can become indispensable and i know we're all to some degree right we're all replaceable yeah. and, and there's absolute truth to that mm -hmm. but also there's another part of me that feels like if you become indispensable where it is more painful for them to lose you than it is to just simply replace you um then you know it, it i think 
then it incentivizes them or you you have more power that way and i'm not saying that it is in any way balanced i'm not making that claim but but i think there's truth to that do you think that's just uh do you, now do you think do you guys think that that view is simply uh like pie in the sky do you think there's any truth to it do you think there was truth to it and there's no longer truth to it i'm, I'm curious i think, I think there, you, there's some truth to it there's some truth to it but the problem with most companies is even if you are super valuable, uh, if you're not in a union or if you're not uh, at least communicating with all your uh, coworkers as to right. like what they're getting, how they're getting compensated, you have no frame of reference and it, a company works on a whole divide and conquer strategy, right? So I, you know how people always say like, oh, it's impolite to discuss your wage. Uh, I tell everybody what I make uh, especially women in my industry who um, typically get paid less to do the same thing as I do as a means to like be like, you know what, if your wage goes up to my wage, like if I, if you're not getting paid less than me, if you're getting paid the same as me, then it's more likely next year I can ask for even more. We're going to all like rise up together. And this is what companies don't want this is why well, I, I, I kind of agree with north a little bit i just want to break in here and, and say I, I agree with north a little bit in that in that if you if you want to become indispensable you actually have to adopt a leadership mindset and you have to look out for more than just yourself you have to kind of take an interest in in the nature of the business and um and add value to the people that are working with you as a team and you also have to add value to the to the people that not just working above you, but but actually kind of bring them together, so that everybody's working smoother, and be that person that that other people can resource. You know, maybe they're kind of like the hidden hidden experts in your team. They're not subject matter experts, but they're the people who kind of can smooth the way um, between departments. You know your interdepartment uh, diplomats, if you will, and uh, those people end up being very valuable um, over and, time. And those people, when you when they leave, there is a distinct absence uh, because you realize you feel this loss. At least I can say that with the company that I've represented now for the last twelve years. Um, you know, we've lost some people who were incredibly capable people and they had an ability to do what you just described. And, you know, I've tried, I've aspired to be like that in some way, shape or form where other representatives from other territories can call on me. It's now I will say people in my business, they tend to not last very long. You know, it's a high turnover rate. I think that's not, that used to be somewhat different. Now I think it's kind of par for the course. Uh -oh. Um, but, uh, what that people don't just, just, uh, around. Oh, I mean, I, 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 you never hear like hearing that, but, um, you know, I, go ahead, Vladi. You know, basically what I want to tell me is sometimes in, in also kind isn't it better that when you have so much talent and you're being underappreciated or not recognized and not giving them what you feel is a pay, but you're a crucial member of that group, whether in like North case, a programmer. Shit, I'll get together with a bunch of other programmers. Say, let's chuck it right here, brother. Let's start our own company. F this company. I'm gonna say it like that. F this company, and give my two two weeks. I got some money in the bank. Let's start from 
garage. Let's do a, a Steve Jobs, a Steve Wozniak kind of shit, and we'll start our own uh, programming company for games. We'll see how where the company's running around to get the same talent that I took from him, and together with that power of five or ten people, the best talented programmers and producers and software developers, put them together, and we start a new gaming company. That's the answer to these companies. That's the beautiful thing of the capitalist yeah. model that socialism That's true. Say, I'm not trying to be mean, that doesn't allow it. I mean, you're able to go and be the, the guy, the, the new business next door, right in front of this old business, and tell them, I started my own. And I see many people get pissed off. Unfortunately, it took them a, a long time to get pissed off, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm mad, I'm not gonna take it anymore. Like, remember that movie, 1970? I'm pissed off, I'm not gonna take it anymore, you know? And sometimes, it, 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 um, it, sometimes it's the how uh, the birth of a of a business partnership happens. Like they they develop a product or they they get an idea for a product, but that doesn't get any immediate buy in from the company because of of other things at the station. Like maybe what you're doing at the at the company has limitations. Um, but then you start working on this 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 component that is you know that's a good pairing. You know, and facilitates uh, the working of this other product that that's in the marketplace that they, they're working on now. And so this person, you know, develops their business on the side, like a side hustle for so many years, and then they come back to their employer and say, "Listen, I've got a round of funding. I have, you know, I'd like for you to like be my business partner. This would be really great. Uh, I'd like to pitch you on on doing this." And so a lot of businesses start that way. Sometimes their former employer actually is their first client. Absolutely. Um, and and Absolutely. but you know sometimes it doesn't go well, and so they end up being you know tossed on their duff, and they're like, well, I still have this product, you know, and he's got competitors, so I'll just go try it on them. And and they know their product works, and it takes them a couple of years, but then like the Gillette guy. There was a guy who approached him and said, listen, guys, if you came up with a, a razor product to shave heads, you know, custom, like, curved, you know, product or curved uh, blades just for shaving your head, um, you could make a killing. And Gillette told him to go go pound sand. And so he just took that market share, period. And then Gillette ended up coming back to him years later like 10 years later and getting getting becoming his client yeah i'm yeah um all the biggest raises that i got were from leaving the company i was with and going to another company hmm. and Definitely. i i yeah like i would get little like one two percent increases every year staying with the company and if i left the company i would get like 10 percent increases uh, and I find it really funny that the corporate capitalist world likes to talk about how, you know, the best way to innovate change is through customer um, spending, you know, like if we want to like get a better car and get a better like widget, you know, you got to do it through the capitalist industry where people vote with their dollars. But then when it comes to their workers who start quitting on them or start working half as hard because their job sucks, then they don't keep the same mindset. Suddenly it's like 
they're violating some social contract. It's like, no, it's the same thing, man. It's like, if, if you want to keep customers, you got to keep them happy. If you want to keep your workers, it's the same idea. And when these people quit on them, they got to ask themselves what they did wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, workers you know just bailing on their company because like i said and we're just going to find a better opportunity right i think north totally agree with you and i think what you a company that doesn't do that over time i think they will fail um you know the the dollars will show that because if that becomes a policy where you have a a sort of like a a, a, a fiefdom right uh, within that company of, of sort of dysfunction I, I think in a lot of cases it does show over time now there i'm sure there's circumstances where it doesn't but um but yeah that that's an unsustainable thing to not to sort of just view your people as disposable and to not learn what made them unhappy to just assume that it was a, a personal fault right that it was something wrong with them. Or, or worse, like, Nate, you know, this is a scenario that, that we didn't bring up today, but but kind of rewarding success with, you know, antipathy or, or calling it failure um, because you have an insecure boss or an insecure boss's boss or, you know, you're in a competitive uh, team and, you know, they want everything to look a certain way and performance to... to so that the, this manager looks like he's performing, but when you start outperforming everybody else, um, and it shows in the numbers, it looks like this guy who hired you um, isn't really pulling the weight that that you know. But he started hiring again, and he hired say say he hired you, um, and then you're you're outshining everybody else in the team. Um, and in that, those cases, sometimes um, the success will turn upon you, and it'll be really hard for you to to be rewarded for success at your job, even if you're excelling. So, uh, Blotty, did you want to talk to that? Yeah, basically, what I wanted to say, look, again, going back to, a, to an example is, and I've seen this happen at a barbershop. The Hispanics that were working at the barbershop for a Chinese guy, rarely there, only came to pick up the money. They were close friends. I still go cut my hair. They're called hair time here in America. I won't tell you where. And the whole thing was, they got tired of the Chinese guy that they were carrying the business. They're the challenge. So they started getting together and they organized it. Maybe took a year or two to put the money away. And they said, we're going to open up our, our own barbershop. But we're going to have to take the clientele that we built that's loyal to. That's where we're controversial. Well, the Chinese guy came back because he had like several barbershops and finally put paid attention. This is where the saying is you never let employees run your business to determine everything if you're not there. That's why you have to be present daily for hours at a time coming when they least expect it. They walked out with most at least maybe 80, 90% of the clientele. This guy was, and I, I'm not going to say it's morally right, but I could understand that they won that client. It wasn't their stomach, but it was their clientele that was loyal to them. There's, there's something they, really they, important. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, uh, I just, when you started talking about taking your clientele, it made me think of Salesforce. Uh-huh. And uh, 
my company has introduced it as have many others and I see it I mean I completely understand the concept but I think it has got to be one of the most devious things that uh, like big business and corporations have done because what it's doing on a ground level on a field level with people like myself is it it seeks to take away your information the relationships that you've cultivated the information that you have that gives you leverage as a contractor as an employee and it seeks to to have a legitimate basis to give all of that up to put it you know to basically create a database out of it and and really to take away your leverage in, in effect that's what it does and so the ability to take all those clients away and you well you could make an argument that if you're really that confident your clients will follow you and i think that's true to, to an extent but i see what you know i don't know how many of you have used salesforce or interacted with it and you know some of your depending on your job you may have little to none but um the the scope and depth that that uh system is able to um yes just take information that you've cultivated that you have uh that you have discovered through your own work and the thing that makes you valuable just handing it over to your company i think is is something that has been very corrosive to um yeah to people in the yeah i I think in pr work is is another that's that's a similar uh ray we gotta wrap it up in about maybe two to five minutes guys Uh, any final thoughts i want to go kick kick back to some of these unprofessional traps uh, do, does anybody want to talk for like a, a minute or so about maybe each of you regarding the unprofessional trap? Have you ever been put in a situation that was clearly deceptive and unprofessional? You agreed to, to one thing and you show up and it's something else. Um, tell me how you got out of that. Nate, you're on mic. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, I'm sorry, I, I have I have a feeling that you have an example of this. Um, so if somebody can start, describe it. Um, I'm, tr- I'm, Oh, I, I have I'm many, to... I have many, please, um, please, but, please, but mainly it's, it's been, I've been through a couple of these, this, these stress interviews where I show up for a position that just really clearly doesn't require it. But, um, but I, I get a resilience test, so to speak, uh, where, where people just are just a, psychologically abusive during the interview and it's not but, for like a high paid position or anything like this just for like a, you know what's a modest, the purpose like, yeah is it, is i the know purpose really is it to is it to just show that that employee will then be willing to be beaten down and not speak up for themselves like is that is it really just that because it, it seems i i don't understand the stress test as a as a means to gauge someone's competence. I mean, yes, to handle stress, uh, like to a degree, but it seems like what you're describing is something that is much harsher than simply being able to juggle a few things at the same, you know, same time or, you know, meet a deadline. Um, I think that they've seen that I've done some nonprofit work and, and as an activist and they just want to see me kind of, they want to see something. I don't know what they want to see, but they want to see something. Shayna, I think that the expectation would be to great people. Like, for example, I have nephews, right? Can you speak closer to the mic, Vladi? We can't hear you very yeah. well. No, what I'm saying is if, if, you, if we are to, for the next generation of people, 
they should be taught, like the older generation, that if you want something in life, you're the one that's supposed to give yourself a break. Don't be expecting a break from anybody else. If an employer, that includes an employer anytime, anywhere, is not giving you what you want, and you know you're worth more, and you know you're going to cause a loss for them, and you know you could do better for yourself, maybe start your own business, or a contractor, or whatever, it's go about it. Dare yourself. You see, this is the problem that, that unfortunately, this happens in pretty much all capitalistic systems. Is we, we're 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 we're, um, we're we're putting ourselves, basically selling ourselves. When you go to an employer, you're selling selling your talent, your time, your power, your knowledge. You're your licensing. Standing. You're licensing your 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 power and your talent. So if you if you teach people become independent at a young age, I've seen this Agreed. in some people become independent, the free man. Whether you wanted to go into landscaping or camera freelancing or reporting, whatever, do it for yourself, but build your own client. You'll do a much better job than your than your employer because that's your bread and butter. And at the same time, you know, whatever businesses you want to invest, whether with yourself or, or you know, with a partner, the same thing. But we have to dare people because people are just out there with their hands, no different than a than a homeless, just asking for for a nickel or dime. And there's employers, oh, oh nickel and dime you. I, I won't pay you fair wage, but I'll have you do a, you know, I'll give nickel and dime you. Eventually, you're gonna have to. And but, but and you that's know, the how do you get thing. that? That's not really the answer to my question, though. Like this is an unprofessional trap. Okay, they're trying to start a business relationship with you, uh, labor in exchange for. For, for money, okay. That that's that's the exchange, and they they pull you into a meeting, and it's it's not what they they say it's going to be. There's something so, so deceptive they, about if it. If there's if there's deception on their part, I think the only thing that you can do is call it out during the interview, which has got to be one of the most difficult things to do because you're clearly there to try and impress them. But I, I think if you I mean, that might be a way to handle it. And that is, I think that probably to do it effectively, it probably requires some coaching, some preparation, because it's not, I think for many people, that is a very unnatural response to have. But I think if you, it's like standing up to a bully. If saying that one of the values that you, uh, that is important to you is, uh, is basically the opposite of the very thing that they're doing. And then you look them straight in the eye and are willing to walk that I think is going to be one of the only things to essentially, you know, to show them that you are willing to, to walk away. And it's just like in, in any sales exchange, right. Where you have, where you, you want to buy something, you're negotiating for a lower price. If the other yeah. party doesn't believe that you are willing to walk, you've lost all power. So, huh. you know, that, to me, that, that, that sales. North, do you want to, chime in before it's time to go here anything um, no I, I think what that person did where she kind of uh, exposed it to the media and then the company had to suffer the repercussions is a good way to go about it <laughs> um, yeah I think I think when use people the power are assholes, of social media <laughs> yeah I, I you know like you actions should have consequences um, I have no problem with that. All right, all right. Well, that's we're gonna leave it there, guys. This has been a great conversation on Labor Day, day sixty-two. One hundred days of Colin. Yesterday was day sixty-three. My miscount. I 
just needed to say that. Okay. Thanks again, everybody. Can I say everybody. something real quick? Oh. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Real quick is, look, regarding the trap, walk away, but know that you're going to lose out that job, and it might be momentary, but something better is coming up. Especially, let me give you an example. A friend, pastor, teacher by the name of Bob Carter told me that he was a union, the, the, the teamster, a very popular union here in America. Hey, can, can you speak closer to the mic? And Robert Carter was working for the Teamsters Union, okay, at the docks, loading and low loading. Mm -hmm. He had a problem back then in the 60s, moving pornography, you know, Playboy, oh. Penthouse, all that stuff. And it was in boxes. It wasn't exposed, but it was in boxes. And he, he knew had a what was time. in there, yeah. Yeah. So morally, there. as a Christian, he had, whereas me, I'll move things, get them out of the way, get them out, you know. And I got, you know, that's me. But he was willing to resist and say, you know what, I'm willing to quit. And I'm like, wow. I mean, that, that's some strong morals. But I'm like, you're willing to live by that conviction. You know, my head's off. But in my case, I'll be like, if I'm at, you know, UPS, United Parcel Service, I just throw the thing get it out of the way, you know. I'm not going to get into the political thing or whether I liked it or not or if it was this porn or that porn or whatever. But but I respect him for what he said. He stood his conviction. The, the employers actually accommodated. They accommodated for him not to do that work. There, when you're in a trap like that, untrap yourself. Speak up, but at the same time, know that if your employer doesn't accommodate for you, you might lose your job or get written up or whatever the case. You gotta okay. be, you know, you gotta know when to wage war and when not. To. Again, yeah, for which me, which you gotta pick your fights and pick them properly. Exactly. Uh, but if this is somebody you're doing a new business relationship, my recommendation to any casual listener coming by the podcast is just just kind of find your way out. It, Examine all exits and then excuse yourself and get out of there. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so um, thank you guys for helping me think quick and um, do a good podcast on Labor Day. Have a great day, guys. Take care. You too, Sheila. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.